Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Green Chef. Feel like the star of your own cooking show with the Green Chef meal kits. Green Chef is a meal kit company that delivers everything you need to cook gourmet meals at home, including organic ingredients and easy recipes. Plus, they're USDA certified organic, and they offer options for specialty diets like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. Greenwald, I uh, love my Green Chef meals. I got into some soul, you know, a nice little, uh, like a kind of... Lovely little dressing on that. Mm-hmm. And then there was a great chicken feta recipe that I worked with. Oh, you better give me that. I'd like to try that. I'm still all about I that. I ate it, so I can't give it no, to the you. The recipe. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. all about that Montreal steak seasoning, man. I still, oh, I'm, love still that. I'm still living that orange zest light. Sign up today for a special limited time offer. Go to greenchef.us slash watch for $50 off your first meal kit. That's greenchef.us slash watch, W A T C H, for $50 off. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Here is a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight, and they really are our friends. They are they are moving into the, the homie zone. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible deals. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell rooms and pass those savings along to you. Not like last resort places, though. They work with cool top-rated hotels where you actually want to stay. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. So if you want to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, download the Hotel Tonight app now. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of The Watch, Andy and I talk about Avengers Infinity Wars and our hype level for that and some uh, suspicious quotes coming out from the creative team behind that movie we also talk about speaking of suspicious sicario the day of the soldado i don't think it's possible to quantify our hype level for that we also talk about the last episode of collateral on netflix and then andy spoke with singer-songwriter lucy dacus all on the watch i need supports to have to clear the room stand up and walk now now Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he's in the land of wolves again! It's Andy Greenwald! It's The Watch re-up, Day of the Soldados. <laughs> <laughs> you love I it. can't wait to talk about this. There's a new Sicario trailer that I want to discuss in detail. We're also going to talk about episode four of Collateral. Thanks for bearing with us with this. It's what a divisive show. It's interesting. We'll talk about that, too. Uh, it's like uh, the talk of our Facebook group. Here's my thing. Uh-huh. All in on Facebook. I, I noticed. <laughs> you picked the time. I'm going to start more accounts for myself. You are that guy that stands astride history and just says, eh. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn was actually, I, won't, I will not be deleting my Facebook page. Jeremy Corbyn said that? He came well, out and said that. Very relevant to Collateral. <laughs> He is actically. I He's know, basically the, the old version of the of the MP in that it's show. It's all connected, man. We're also going to have a guest today, Andy. Why don't you tell us a little about about Lucy Dacus? Chris, three days ago, I was like, "Here's an album that I love." Lucy Dacus's second album, Historian, said mm-hmm. it was probably my favorite record of the year. Guess who's dropping by today? Lucy. That's and I'm, incredible. I'm very excited. And usually, when we do these intros, they're a little bit a little bit phony because we've done the interview already. No, we haven't. We have no idea. I've never even met I her. I wonder if Lucy is is into Facebook. This could be a <laughs> wild, wild interview. We don't know. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of Sicario talk, a little bit of collateral talk, and then Andy's interview with Lucy Dacus. But mm-hmm. first, let's talk a little bit about Avengers: Infinity War. I love 
I love Avengers as almost as much as I love Facebook. This is just this is just a small note, but it is so relevant to our interests. Not necessarily our interest in superhero movies, but we have repeatedly talked about how a lot of these big budget tent poles have kind of got not a critical pass, but a little bit of one by name checking movies. There's so that many of them, them that we can't quite judge them anymore, right? Like they're they're now their own genre judged against one another. No, no, no. That's not my point. Is that the people who the make filmmakers compare them to actually good movies oh, and say that? Remember, we were just saying this the other day. Director bullshit, are you? Yes, I'm yeah. on that director bullshit. And <laughs> our favorite example of that recently. Shout out to Sam Donsky. I think Sam was the yes. first one to sort of set up the the sort of the rules and regulations of director bullshit, but explain it for people who don't know. Well, no, just that Captain America Winter Soldier, a fine comic book movie, somehow was allowed to be slipped into our collective cultural bloodstream as more or less a vamp on the parallax view, to which we say, nah. (laughs) Um, And then... Just when I was ready to... And then, to, you know, the one last year that was just yeah. out of control was Kong Skull Island right, 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 as right. a as a riff, <laughs> as a sort of... A meditation, using if you Using Platoon will. and Apocalypse Now as the sort of the, the bass chords that they were going to work from. Right. And so the, the stems in the remix <laughs> of life that we were all part of. Yeah. Um, a, a, just a few short days ago, you blew my wig back by saying that Infinity War was based on heist movies and Two Days in the Valley. Joe and Anthony Russo are seriously just paging through the Leonard Malton film guide <laughs> in these right. interviews, and they're just like, oh, let me just mention Two Days in the Valley. <laughs> right. You, so I hope you saw what today's reference was. And I don't know who to source this to, but it is. It was their screenwriters, actually. The screenwriters? Yeah, the screenwriters. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because, look, these screenwriters have a have a tough job um, for which they are paid an enormous amount of money. But they said that Marvel's Infinity War, Avengers colon Infinity War, starring a cast of 79 people in major speaking roles, is kind of like Robert Altman's Nashville. Now, I guess they're saying this because there were a lot of speaking parts to, so to it juggle. Is, it's, so we talk, this is from Stephen McFeely, one of the co-writers yeah. of Avengers Affinity War, and the, and the quote is, another thing to talk about, to think about, one of the challenges we've had, how do you make sure this is not 25 people moving from one scene to one scene to one scene? So we right. talk, being a little facetious about it, but we talk okay. about how it's like Nashville. So Okay, so this is not Even if he's being bullshit. facetious, there's, it's screenwriter bullshit, yeah. and shout out to Stephen McFeely, because if it's if you want to make Avengers like Nashville, I'm here for it. 1,000%. But this is just like what, like, the kid who buys the Happy Meal that comes with Captain America is not also copying the Criterion Blu-ray of Nashville. Maybe one day you see this. Maybe the long goodbye. Maybe, so are we saying that this maybe is a California thing? split. Yeah, right. I'm saying, look, once you said it was the writer, I got a lot softer about the whole thing. But I also <laughs> feel like, look, whatever gets you through the day. Like, this morning when I woke up, was I like, do I have a lot of takes to share in a podcast? And I was like, not really. Do you, but ever then th- I, you actually think that when you wake up in the morning? You know what I did? Mm. I said, it's kind of like a vamp on This American Life, talking to Chris. So I just imagine myself in a classier circumstance. That's right. And then here I am. And you get through it. You get through it. But this idea that the bar could be set so low where it's like there are more, plus or minus, you know, there are more than 12 or 15 characters. So, so it's, it's Nashville. So it's Altman-esque. I mean, look, no matter what this dude is saying, facetious or not, they've already compared this to <laughs> Two Days in the Valley and Out of Sight. So as far as I'm concerned, my head is spinning. I will, Let me get a 1 to 10. Where's your sort yeah. of anticipation level for Avengers Infinity War? Because I feel like Black Panther actually gave this movie a little kick in the pants. Sure. Where not only does it have something to really live up to now, but... 
the idea of getting a, a sort of backdoor Black Panther sequel. Yes, which it seems like we're getting. Short, so, so short of a time after Black Panther hits screens. And they are starting to like seed the idea that this will be the last run for a couple of these actors. You know, you know who's seeding that? Christopher <laughs> Evans. <laughs> that, there, there are two headlines yeah. going around right now, as far as I can tell, and I'll summarize them for you. One, some people die in Avengers. Yes. The other headline, Chris Evans grew a mustache and is on Broadway now. <laughs> I'm not connecting any dots here. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. I think his quote in the Times today was, you want to jump off the train before you, they push you? Yeah, you know what happens when you either jump or get pushed off a train? You die. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, look, sorry, guys. The weird Snowpiercer analogy. Shout to the White Wolf, though. Um, no, he, he, here's where I am on it. Yeah. Um, little, not going to lie, two, two hours, 36 minutes is a very, very long hang. But I have a lot of time for these movies, maybe not two hours, 30 minutes. And I, at this point, my appreciation or anticipation for it really rests on I'm just curious what they're going to do because they've been talking about this movie conceptually for as long as they have been making the movies, mm-hmm. right? They, it is hyperbole to say that it's Altman-esque. It is not hyperbole to say this is what they were building to. In Kevin Feige's wildest, wildest dreams, um, where he also is seven feet tall and has a purple ridge chin, this is what he was imagining. So I'm curious when, they, when you actually have to do the thing, what it looks like. That's a lot of actors, man. And I also think they are stealing, they are steering the overall Marvel franchise towards not only the actors that they potentially can control under contract for longer, but towards the ones that really are popping on the screen, relative prominence in the comic book. They be, did it. I mean, like, they, 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 they might be able to pull off a group hang movie in two years with Brie Larson, Chadwick Boseman. Letitia Wright. Yeah, all the, all, you know, like, all the, the maybe some, maybe Doctor Strange, I, maybe I, Benedict, I don't know. I, I think it is interesting to see them break free from the source material so fully in that, and there's no reason why this always shouldn't have been the case, but it historically wasn't, that Shuri, the character of Black Panther's sister, was on the same level of fame and prominence in the Marvel Universe as Black Widow or Thor. <laughs> yeah. But why not? The yeah. performance is great. It reminds me more, the poster and just the sheer volume of people in this movie remind me of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, <laughs> where you've got just a cast of thousands. I think that there's a heist element to this movie. Jewels. I, they're stealing jewels. I, I know, but like, but like off, the, off of Thanos's hand, or what are no, they doing? He gets them. He doesn't have them. Right. Chris, come on. Look, the biggest, the biggest question mark is the biggest question mark, which is, which is Thanos, right? Like that. Yeah. Does you, it, you, you can have, they pull it off? You have famously said many times when we have these conversations that it, these movies depend on their villains. I, I don't. Marvel movies have historically had very bad villains and somehow managed to be okay despite that. I, I don't see how that character matters other than as a you know plot engineering MacGuffin, mm-hmm. it, so to let the other people have fun. So we'll see. We'll go right. You're gonna go. I'm gonna go to that. I'm also going to go to Sicario 2. Starring Thanos? He's in that too, man. So the first trailer for this movie dropped a little while ago, and I saw it in multiple movie theaters with different groups of people watching different movies, and almost to a person, everybody turned usually to me because they consider me to to be the Sarah Huckabee Sanders of the Sicario federal government. And they were like, you know, I don't know that this needed to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Strong, yeah. They don't know about the Soldado, though. <laughs> Look. Look, so what's cool about this is that uh, yeah. I'm, I just do not give a shit about what anybody thinks. I'm just really excited for this movie. But uh-huh. I am fascinated to see that somebody at a studio, like, 
obviously also had the same feeling late in the game as what some of my movie-going friends thought, which is, huh, maybe we didn't need to do this. (laughs) Or maybe we need to put a little bit more English on this fastball, you know? So, so... Your your boys at Columbia Pictures, mm-hmm. real late in the game. Real late. Real late. We're like, Sicario Soldado. Hmm. Maybe the, maybe people aren't getting that. First, it was just Soldado. No, Soldado, right? Yeah. And then they were like, you know what will fix this? You know what will fix mm-hmm. this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Is if we call this movie Sicario colon, Day of the Soldado! <laughs> and they just have this movie with no blunt. It's just Brolin and Benicio and a young girl and your girl Catherine Keener looking like yeah. she's wearing Yeezy season 19. <laughs> what about what about Modine, who was transported directly from the deep freeze they put him in at the end of Stranger Things season one? And they woke him up on set with exactly. like Narcan tablets. And he said, what am I doing? And they said, the same. And they were like, okay, the day thing. of the Soldado. What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know if that yeah. really sells. So you know what we need in a visual aspect? Mm. Benicio and Josh Brolin, that's not enough. Mm. We need a visual aspect. Mm. So somebody go make me <laughs> a fucking Von Dutch <laughs> Sons of our Anarchy Dipset Volume 4 hybrid poster of yeah. a fucking skeleton yeah. draped in an American flag yeah. with a gold-plated semi-automatic in its belt and gold chains on and it's, bullets all like all over it. It's subtle. Yeah. It's tasteful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is the new watch art, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 1,000%. We're working on it back here, Get people the watching the video. this stuff. Let's put a skeleton up with an American mm-hmm. flag draped over it. Mm-hmm. We are now sponsored by Affliction. Yes. <laughs> we are now also sponsored by uh, Ice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good look for us. Um, yeah. So they they changed some things. Enormous changes at the last it, minute rarely bode well for a film release. This, but this film does have some stuff going for it. Okay. I'm all, I'm just going to say. I, yeah, I love this. Stefano Salima. Stefano Salima He's not Denis Villeneuve, but he's really good. And he yeah. did Gomorrah. He did Sabura, which you were really excited about. The that book. Is, that is a raw book, my yeah. friend. And so he obviously knows his way around. I think that they're going to really up the ante on the set pieces, obviously, if the trailer is anything to be believed. And obviously, you know, the second trailer does another thing that I always get very suspicious about, although it's pretty common now, is essentially gives away the entire movie. It's so long. It's so long. It gives away so many twists. If there are more twists, I can't understand what they let, could be. Let, let me let me back up the the armor the, truck the Soldado for a truck. second. Um, <laughs> the Ford Soldado. <laughs> we loved Sicario, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if anyone involved in the sequel knows why Sicario was good. I'm not sure if that matters, but I don't know if they. Well, why know. do you think Sicario was good? Well, one of the reasons was Sicario was good because it, the character, the POV character, was Emily Blunt's character. Yeah sinking into this morass of violence and savagery and backbiting and intergovernmental just foobar, Uh right? This movie is just like, that shit was cool when they shot the dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that seems to be the studio note here. And fair enough. Like, it's, it's worked for many franchises before. But it's also, there is an element here where it's like, not only, not only are they just like, let's just let Benicio just go ham, with, with the hand pistols, they also have to say that it's not just the cartels. There seems to be Middle Eastern terrorism at yes. play here, too. Yeah. Because there can't be enough villains <laughs> for him to just blow away. Yeah. And all of that sort of, we're not really sure what we're doing, but it's going to look cool, is definitely in evidence with their complete panic about the title of this movie. Because it makes no sense. You're suggesting that there was someone in marketing who put a flag, ran up the flagpole, and was like, I'm not sure people know Soldado means soldier. 
And they were like, okay, well, what about Sicario 2? And then someone up on the eighth floor was like, friends, guys, amigos, if I may. <laughs> I love what you're working with here. I love, I love seeing people get shot in the face on the street. But Sicario wasn't that popular, guys. So you're not going to fix it. Sicario was pretty popular. It was okay popular, but if you put Sicario Soldado, no one's, no one's checking for it. But then... The person on the 13th floor. This is floor, what I'm saying. The, the, I'm just saying it went up the flagpole and just kept, they kept passing the buck or the peso as the case may be. Because when you got to the 13th floor and you get this word salad where it's Sicario day of the Soldado. What day in this we franchise? Gotta, Pat's back there. We can ask Pat. Do you think that somebody at Columbia was like, you know, if we call it day of the Soldado, maybe yeah. we can get national Soldado day going on Twitter. This is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> just... Uh, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm misremembering the film, which I believe crescendos with Benicio del Toro shooting a family in the face in front of the dad <laughs> at the dinner table. But I'm in, not the, in the Sicario expanded universe, has there been a day that's dawned that wasn't primarily for soldados? No, it's a, it's a, it's really like soldados seven days a week, yeah. twice on Sundays, yeah. and the end of Sicario one, I guess. Uh, <laughs> infamously pivots away from Emily Blunt's POV. Yeah. Remember when Benicio has that incredibly convoluted yeah, way of getting into the cartel leader's yeah. like house. Dinner. Yeah. So, man, I'm still excited. What, it's coming out on June, June 29th. It, it, it's just like, what would be really radical and really more Altman-esque, if we're being honest here? What if there was just Sicario, like, Day of the Abogado? And it's just a day of, like, due process, you know? And it's just, just Josh like, Brolin eating peanuts and listening to uh, Widespread Panic. Well, a new character, played by Paul Dano, does doc review. He's like, we're going to get the cartels eventually, sir. And he's like, I believe in you. <laughs> like, Paul Dano opening a Facebook account, <laughs> opting in. Are we just are we doing bits? Are we just pitching stuff here? All right, let's quickly get through the last bit of collateral before Lucy comes in? by. Are Am you, I in? Are you fucking high? Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I got it. I'm in. I'm in the Sicario. Welcome to the watch. Uh, one last bit. I, I'm a long time. I'm a new listener. One last yeah. bit. We want to hit collateral one last time. The fourth episode of the the four episode run on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, we alluded to this earlier in the episode, but I really have been enjoying all jokes aside the conversation about the show on the Facebook group. It's I, been can I also just fascinating. Say, thank you for all the data that I've mined <laughs> from all of the users. I, I already know that they're all in on the Sicario universe yeah. due to their browsing habits, but please continue. Um, I would like to see what uh, Sicario-type browsing habits <laughs> reveal. Um, Nothing good. What, what was interesting was the a lot of the conversation on our Facebook group surrounding Collateral was also a conversation about the normal... What's normative in television storytelling? Mm-hmm. So Alan Steppenwall had a really cool piece on Uproxx that was you know, largely, I thought... Very, fairly praise, praising of the show, but ultimately had a lot of issues with some of the, what he saw as unnecessary biographical flourishes around some of the characters and maybe some of the dead end plot points for such a compressed series. So if it's only going to be four episodes, why do we need to know so much about Billy Piper's character, Karen? If it's only going to be four episodes, uh, you know, why do we need to know about Kip Glasby's pole vaulting past if it's not, if she's never going to pole vault into mm-hmm. a detention center or something. Well, you know? I was waiting for that. But that gets me to a larger point, which is that, and I think we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks, is that there was a degree of promise when television got good. Mm-hmm. You know, that TV could break a couple of rules and that TV could do a lot of different things. And I think what 
Collateral does that I love so much is it moves quickly enough and is witty enough and is smart enough that it does do things that, yes, if you stand over on this side of the painting, you could see it as sloppiness or a loose end that they don't tie up. But to me, from where I'm standing, I actually think it's more like life. I think it's more like life where you find out something about somebody that's interesting, but is not necessarily a Chekhov's gun Mm -hmm. type of biographical information. And I don't really mind that it has these weird cul-de-sacs that it goes down. I don't mind that it paints a picture of a world that, yeah, is too convenient, but is ultimately a kind of storytelling that used to be very popular in the 30s in theater with you know Clifford Odets and the wow. idea of bringing up issues and using characters really more as... Uh, uh, stand-ins, ex- avatars. Stand-ins, avatars for issues and debates. Mm-hmm. And I actually found it refreshing. You know, and... I think the bottom line is that I found the dialogue so relentlessly entertaining and well-delivered that I didn't care about a lot of that other stuff. I don't disagree with you. I think that um, I welcome digression. Twin Peaks The Return is my favorite TV show of the last few years. That was primarily digression. Um, Anything related to Kip Glassby, I'm for, because one of my favorite television characters of the last few years. I think that it just ended up, and and I think this also might be a product of the entire show coming from the mind of one guy, David Hare. Yeah. it ended up a little bit of a tweener between those impulses. Was this going to be a um, rigorous procedural about bureaucracy and how things actually work a la David Simon show of The Wire? Was it going to be a little bit baggier and chattier? Um, like, a, I'm not even sure of the example. Like, not, a Fargo is not a good example, but a prestige cop show. Um, the Killing, yeah. Something like that, right. Um, or is it going to be something new entirely and break the mold? It, it's yeah. not going to be that. Um, it's just we live in this sort of formless space now where David Hare can say, I've got an idea. Okay, well, what is the, what, what's the box that you want to put this idea in? Because you choose. You want to make it six, it, you want to make it 10, you want to make it 12. Who knows you if want that's to make what movie. they asked him. But he could have pitched, maybe he decided, but he could have pitched anything. And it, it's essentially bespoke television to his desires and the type of story he wants to tell. I found overall the series to be satisfying as a watch. Um, good performances, good ideas. I really appreciated the aspects of it that actually weren't trying to pull vault over convention and were just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a little bit disappointing because I think it had a lot more promise at the beginning and ended up being rather polemical. Um, but I, I think it would have been nothing without those specific types of character beats and digressions that you're speaking of. I, I, I think my complaint overall is similar to what I said when we talked about the third episode, which is give me the Kip Glassby show. Yeah, and I think that that's been like probably the one thing that I agree with is that, and I don't know whether or not that's a Carrie Mulligan scheduling thing or if it was part of the part of the uh, like the production or the the conception of the show I, I think was just this idea that what if we just took. You, what if you made a detective show but the, took the detective out of 50% of it and showed what happened when she left the room or, or before she got what, to the room? Or what if we took a crime and we talked about the damage that happened outside of the crime? Almost, Absolutely. Almost the – Absolutely. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Collateral. Yeah, that's not it. Um, <laughs> exactly. Soldado. It's, it's yeah. there. It's there in <laughs> yeah. what he wanted to do. Um, but there were these little beats where – maybe this is the American TV aficionado in me talking, but – Sometimes it's just like, no, that's just, I wish he had made a different choice and I wish that he'd been pushed. For example, the biggest one that I'm thinking of is in the finale, which definitely was my favorite episode since the premiere and maybe my favorite overall, not because of what it resolved, but because it was just Carrie Mulligan dunking on people for 56 minutes and her performance is so good. Yeah, her last scene outside the door with Sandrine and getting in there and then leave, you know, like her resolution. She she fucked that up. 
Like, it's like for real though, like that was real, real bad hostage but negotiating. That happens. That happens. It's not. Does all... it? It happens like on the day of the soldado. It doesn't happen necessarily on a Tuesday in in the home country, home countries, or wherever the hell. I guess are. so. Uh, look, the, there was one moment specifically that I wanted to mention, which is when uh, they get she pulls the images off the, the cell phone video that will lead them to the the bad guys, and they have the one image of uh, the woman who turned out to be an agent. Uh, Berna, yeah. Berna, who's running, who's working for our man Sam Spence, mm-hmm. um, standing in front of a cafe, and she says, "Find this cafe, and you'll find her." To the other female detective, and she says, "How?" And she says, "You're good at that sort of thing." Five minutes later, they find her. Why did you yada yada a like a hugely important piece of detective work? Right. I guess the answer is because that's not the story he's because he wants. In she also like Hera wants to go talk about Sandrine. She wants to talk about David Sims, or you know what I mean? Like they, but, but they it, want. But it's interesting when a show happens, and this is why a longer running show is always going to be interesting to us in a way because you can correct it. You can mm-hmm. course correct and follow what's actually interesting in a subsequent seasons. But every time another member of was added to the police force, whether it was the strangely handsome captain or Nathan or, yeah. or, Nathan, or the guy who led all the raids, the sort of sad oh, yeah, sack that looking guy. guy. Who gives her a weird look at one point. And you're like, ooh, is that look going to come in? Yes, yeah, right. and it's not. I'm like, I, I want. don't drive past that. I want to spend time with them. Um, well, I can't it, believe it, we're sitting here it, and you're like advocating for this show being longer. <laughs> it's weird, or just just different allocation of resources. Sure. You know, I, there 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 was a part of me that felt after watching the entire series that all he really wanted out of the series was David the MP's speech about what we're doing. We're here. becoming a nasty little country, yeah. And, and then the the the, conf, the confrontation with the the shadow um, prime minister, the woman who's in charge of the Labour Party. Yes. Um, and you feel like he had to sell a detective show to get there. Or, or, or almost that's what interested him the most. Um, that because there's so many other issues at play at play here, from workplace sexual harassment to the role to women in the military to the role of the military to this, you know, all the things that he started playing with at the beginning. I don't think he really had. For example, I, I don't necessarily disagree with him politically, but I don't think he has a lot of time for the notion that we should that the security services should have a say in this. Right. Sam Spence, Sam Spence was such a mustache twirling villain that his POV didn't really add up to much. And it wasn't helped that when he's finally defeated, he said, I'd take a dead Iraqi boy at any time if it helped defend our homeland. I'm like, well, this th- th- this doesn't seem like a compelling argument to me because it's not based on anything. It's just him ranting. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, I, I definitely think that the show comes up short when you compare it to something like State of Play. So I don't know if you saw the original BBC version of that. Or I can't remember if it was BBC or Channel 4. But John Sim, who plays David Mars, in Collateral actually mm-hmm. plays a reporter in State of Play, I think was later played by Ben Affleck in the movie version of State of Play. And it's an excellent version of this, which is basically a domestic, it's like a domestic story about like love affairs, but it's also a political story about an MP, but it's also a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And they, it brought together these sort of different types of storytelling modes and mesh them better together. And that that's a that's a show if anybody was like, I'd like I liked collateral, I'd like to have something like this, I would definitely recommend you go back and watch State of Play. Ultimately I think I had a lot more uh, I enjoyed Sam Spence as a character, and I didn't think he was so flatly the must, great, the mustache twirling villain. Great, you did. great, 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 great reactions and nasal exhalations from your man during the scene with Carrie Mulligan. Yes, at, at, at the had at the mineral tape? water. At that the was tape. great. That was great. It, it's I am being critical of the show because um, you want more from it. Because I want more from <laughs> it, but but in the scheme of things, I actually want more like this. First of all, because we'll say it one more time, digestible. Mm-hmm. Four episodes. 
we thought about some stuff, we saw some stuff, we can move on. And it was, a, they tried to do something. It, it felt more nimble yeah. because it was a take on something. And not just a take on anything, there was no genre element here. There was no um, pre-existing IP. This was a esteemed playwright and screenwriter who wanted to take a swing at something and, you know, succeeded or failed and, relative, you know, your mileage may vary on that. But I, I would love to see Netflix and these other streaming giants fund more projects like this, yeah, particularly about cities, particularly about issues that matter to us. These things are always going to end from, up... From in, television writers or screenwriters yes. who maybe have these projects that don't quite fit into a feature and don't quite fit into a multi-season yes. television least, in, show. In some ways, it's the same thing we said about Godless, which is, where's the market for Westerns? Well, I don't know, but they're going to try to make a good one. No, you know? and, and Scott Frank made three within Godless, you know, and the same, I think the same is happening with the Coen Brothers Western that's coming uh, on Netflix right. later, which is, sounds like an anthology series, which is like, well, we have a bunch of ideas for Westerns. We'll just we, make them as we a We kind of have a baggy show. movie, so now yeah. it's a TV show. But yeah. I, I, I think it's very, very hard to tackle hot-button issues, and I say that knowing what a what kind of cliche that is, without becoming polemical. Yeah. Considering how much of the show managed to entertain and move along, then he did a, he did a, a, a good job. Um, it reminds me just how remarkable The Wire is and was, and, and all the David Simon, not all the David Simon works, but I would say um, uh, The Deuce as well, yeah. in its period setting. That's so hard to do. Um, but despite my criticism and despite me saying how hard it is to do, I would love to see more people try. And so, and while they're trying, cast Carrie Mulligan more. Yes. Dude, she's so good in this show. I, I don't... I, and she's people, incredible. Well, I, and I think she has a, a lower usage rate than I, I think she needed, but I think she could have done more in it. But it, it, she's amazing every moment she's on the screen. Think about that performance. What she does... She's ahead of everyone throughout. You know, she's smarter than everyone, and she's doing that thing that would be so annoying if you actually worked with that person. Sure. So I have a lot of respect for Nathan's ability to hold right. it together. Right. That relationship had a nice moment at the end, too. But she has that wry smile throughout um, that really... Uh, maybe it's more of a testament yeah, to like her. Yeah, she has a great line describing her own character where she was like, I take things seriously. I just looks different when I, you know. I love that. The way I take things seriously looks different than the it, way everybody else does. I think it's a, it's a triumphant, muscular, awesome, hopefully career-redefining performance from her, although she's been good in everything. Yeah. Um, and I really wonder if maybe why we want more of her in the show is a testament to her performance rather than the way it was written. I, maybe on the page, everything felt balanced and then she just so dominated that it wasn't that way. Okay, we're going to wrap it up there. Andy's got an interview with Lucy Dacus coming up next. Uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Wolverine, The Long Night. Marvel is unveiling their first scripted podcast ever, and it's available exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Wolverine, The Long Night is going where no audio series has gone before, and you'll want to be a part of it from the start. The gripping tale follows the story of Logan, a strange newcomer in the small town of Burns, Alaska. You'll be immersed into the heart of a murder investigation, following along as special agents explore a string of mysterious deaths around town. The series star is Richard Armitage as Wolverine, who you might know as Thorin Oakenshield from the Hobbit trilogy, plus Scott Atsit from 30 Rock, and a special appearance from comedian and podcast host Chris Gethard. To listen now, go to wolverinepodcast.com and use promo code MARVEL for a free month of Stitcher Premium. 
Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. Take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline or sharing your next big idea, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Microsoft Teams and Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. Okay, now, as promised, I'm so thrilled to be joined by my guest who made my favorite album of 2018 so far, Historian, and who so politely just corrected me on the pronunciation of her name. I'm thrilled to prove my ability at saying it correctly, Lucy Dacus. Yes. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Could you recreate for me the the pronunciation advice that you just gave? I tell people it's like daytime and kiss kiss, like day kiss. That's so classy. Yeah. But it also speaks to having had to do that many times. Yeah, it also has hand motions. You can do like a rising sun and like blowing a kiss. Oh, it's perfect. So, yeah. Um, I would like to now apologize for every time <laughs> I've mentioned your name on this podcast over the last two weeks. <laughs> Especially on Monday when I told the listeners that Historian was my favorite record of the year. And now, like that book, The Secret, I put that into the world and then you just happen to be here today. I feel like the compliment cancels out the the wrong pronunciation. <laughs> so, we're at, so we're at zero? Or yeah, the compliment which, uh, wins? maybe like three. We like should... a little veering towards positive. Okay, good. Well, we'll yeah. see if we can ratchet it up more. <laughs> um, I should say we're recording this on Thursday in Los Angeles. Um, you're playing tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might be posted in time for people to rush if it's not. Is it sold out? Not yet. It may be, but okay. Terragram Ballroom, yes. tonight you're yep. playing, and then um, we'll say at the end the other places you're playing. But, okay, so I have to say um, something. This is terrible. This is something I've said on Twitter, but I need to say it to your face and mm-hmm. to the listeners. Um, I, it, it struck me that I fell in love with Historian um, the way F. Scott Fitzgerald said, men go bankrupt, which is very slowly and then all at once. I love that. It, 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 it's a, a record that... Um, I enjoyed at first listen and it kind of sunk its way into my life and into my head to the point where I, I felt as if I was listening to it even when I wasn't. Um, as a music fan, I love that. As a music creator, can obviously you can't intend for something like that to happen, but can you relate to that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me so many times. And I, I've had a lot of moments like this where people have told me that the music means something to them that reminds me of music that has touched me. Right. And it's this moment of, like, the tables have turned and now, like, somehow I've made something that can be meaningful in that same way, which is, like, I can't even fully grasp that, you know, being on the other side of a equation that has meant so much to me in my life. So... Yeah, I don't, I'm not used to that. Uh, I feel like you should get used to it because <laughs> you're just at the beginning of your career. This is your second album. Um, the thing that struck me most about it, and I, and I should say from your very first single, which I also love dearly, uh, I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore, is you have a very um, particular and specific, I'd like to say matter-of-fact delivery. There is very little, or at least appears to be, very little artifice. You, It's declarative. Um I don't want to be funny anymore. There it is. Um, 
I'm wondering where that aspect of your songwriting comes from. Is that who you are as a person? When we only just met, so I can't tell. Um, is that who you were as a writer of other things, or did this develop? I think it's the person that I want to be. Okay. And so when it, it comes out in songwriting, like I'm declaring something to myself, you know, usually when I'm writing a song, it's to put words to things that I mm -hmm. don't really know how to say yet. And so it's the moment when I finally know what to say and how to say it. And that's why it comes out, you know, really concisely mm -hmm. because it's taken a long time to get there. To winnow it down. It, whittle yeah. It down. So it, I, I value that in other writing as well. You know, I like fruity you know, flowery language like anyone else, but I really appreciate like really communicative, concise writing too. Well, it, there's something that reminds me of like Raymond Carver where there, there's just, you could have adjectives, but why do you need them? Yeah, you don't need them. Maybe you don't need them. Mm -hmm. do you, do you, is songwriting for you a process of editing? Do you often take things away from where you originally started out? It's funny, I'm like paranoid about putting too much there in the first place because I feel like once you emit something, whether it's like a word or a melody or an instrument part, you get attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so I just wait a while before I make anything because as soon as it's there, I'm going to love it or at least yeah. care about it. And You don't um, want to kill your darlings, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's a little bit of backtracking like in the recording process. Um, we'll put something on and it's usually me in the room saying like, don't need that. Even if it's cool, we don't need it. Mm -hmm. Especially working with Jacob Blizzard, our guitarist, and Colin Pastor, our producer. They're friends of mine from like middle school and high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're both kind of like geniuses. I don't wow. know. They're, That's they're... lucky because I had many dear friends in middle school and high school, but it's probably good that we don't collaborate on this. <laughs> yeah. I have other friends I do not speak to anymore, but they're, they're ones I've, I've kept for sure. And they're very creative, and so they'll come up with something super cool. They both went to, like, Colin went to Berkeley, Jacob okay. went to Oberlin, so they're, like, trained in cool music, music and guys. I'm not trained at all, and so they'll come up with something that's definitely awesome, and I just have to say, that is so awesome, and I'm not even awesome enough for that idea. <laughs> like, it doesn't belong there. I, it, it's complicating things. I feel like I was just disrespectful to the kid in eighth grade who made a bong out of an apple. Like, that was creative <laughs> and awesome, you know? Like, that was really good at the time, uh -huh. but there really wasn't, like, advanced studies in that that we could then mm -hmm. collaborate on on later. Yeah. Um, I, I love the idea of what you're saying, that it's the person you wish you, you would be or you could be, um, because so much of rock and roll and rock and roll that I love a lot is about artifice and becoming a character. Even the people who claim they're not doing it, there's still mm -hmm. a lot of putting on an act. Um, but y your choice of, of, of character, if you'll allow it, goes in such an opposite direction from what many people expect. This is not a David Bowie chameleonic thing. It's it's someone who maybe has the, the exact right thing to say in the exact meter that you wish to say it. Yeah. Um, do you have role models for that type of performance and that type of projection? Were, were, there, were there cool musicians in that way that they were able to speaks, uh, I'm making it sound bloodless because it's certainly not, but I really admire the, the, the um, sparseness of the language in your songs. I think I really admire people who are clearly themselves, and I get an idea that maybe they're themselves at all times. Like, mm -hmm. Marina July is a creative person, that in everything she does, there's so much of her, and it's all pointing back to the same truth that she seems compelled to express. And mm -hmm. um, like Enyas Varda is a filmmaker that mm -hmm. I really respect. Um, the oldest Academy Award nominee in history, I believe. <laughs> really? Uh, I think, or Christopher Plummer was. They were fight. They were old fighting. Okay. <laughs> Very yeah, gently. she she's like 
a huge inspiration, mostly her uh, autobiographical film. And same for Fellini, his movie Amarcord. They're mm-hmm. both like autobiographical films. And so they're making these creative things that are like pointing back at themselves, like trying to uncover something like deeper within, mm-hmm. like even though there's acting involved and like in any form of media, you, you choose what to make. So there's artifice and like editing at mm-hmm. all, but they are artificeless when it comes to like, they're going in the other direction. Yes. Like I, I would like to do things like that. And I think I'm starting to figure out how like this album is really personal and it's mm-hmm. like, it is pointed inward. And, um, my friend Julian said something to me once about, um, like all art is selfish art like the best Mm -hmm. art it has to be really selfish for it to mean anything to anyone else Mm -hmm. I think that's true because the one thing that we can all tell as fans and critics is if it's phony even if we don't understand you can tell if the emotions behind it are real and that's what opens up our minds and makes us empathetic towards each other and towards artists right Mm -hmm. but communicating that is awfully hard and people are more willing to hear you say like this is how I am and then they can choose to relate to it if they want instead of this is how you are there's a lot of like condemning art or like preacherly mm-hmm. art that I think people just don't want to interact with because nobody wants to be told what they are. Everyone knows what they are to some respect. So if you make art that's about you and other people can relate to it and find words mm-hmm. through you, that's that's a better avenue than, you know, giving a lecture through music. Speaking of giving a lecture, the album title is Historian, which I love because it is so not rock and roll. It goes all the way around and becomes rock and roll again. <laughs> um, but it, it really communicates this really this powerful idea that runs through the record that we are all historians of subjective truth of our own experience. And what does what does truth even mean if it is so personal? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of songs and um, lyrics dealing with mortality and mm-hmm. what we lose when people. I was going to say blink out of our lives, but actually more disintegrate out of our lives. Right. Um, how did you come upon that idea as a, I mean, it, it's such a unified album. So how did, if you had these songs and these emotions, how did you, with this cool calculating gaze that I think that you have, how did you put your arms around it into this concept? Well, the the title of the album came later. So mm-hmm. all the all the songs were there and I, I kind of noticed what you were noticing later. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's part of, who I am so deeply that it, it came out that way before I could even really look at it from a distance. But it is largely about my personal history. And um, whenever I read history, I always try to think of like who's writing it, whose history is it, when was it written, what do people know, what do people not know, what's being o- omitted. And so history isn't real, you know, like it shouldn't be trusted as fact, but it's still worthwhile because you can't. Um, you know ignore the lesson that's waiting in the past and so I guess for this album it's like I'm trying to learn lessons from my life so far and um, really be intentional about finding them because I think lessons are constantly coming at you and like you could be synthesizing a bunch of wisdom all the time but if you don't like take a moment to look for it or put the dots together um, you could miss out on a lot. I'm really fascinated also anytime I encounter um, a work of art made by a, a young person, a relatively young person, about mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, often works of art by younger people are sort of in defiance of, of death, like we're going to live forever, yeah. like a bright lights, big city kind of mentality where the Blah. lesson learned at the end of it is, oh, 
you know, maybe there, maybe there are walls here after all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, when I'm asking the question, I don't mean specifically who, who did you lose in your life, but what, what gave you the point of view and the perspective to tackle such a weighty topic at a relatively younger age? I think it sticks with people at different times of your life, but like death is always there. That's why people get pets. I mean, maybe not the only reason why, but I think it's really great for kids to have pets around because it's like a you love something and then you it's lose it. a death it. instruction machine. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds morbid to some people, but I, I think it's like really beautiful like as a test run and um so some kids like that weighs on them way more than other people and so I guess from an early age I just extrapolated that Mm -hmm. um and like what I was taught in church about like death and like not death you know it was just this really confusing concept in Christianity because like Jesus didn't die and there's like this zombie apocalypse vibe sometimes in the Bible and And the the rapture right that's yeah I I was so sure I was gonna be taken up in the rapture before middle school like fifth grade I was like well I did what I did (laughs) and I'm not gonna make it to the next Oh, wait, but if you're take oh so you so you were feeling pretty good because I if was, you get yeah, taken you nailed it yeah yeah that's what I was stoked I was like this is great I'm gonna like go live with God and I I'm like talking about it kind of like funnily now but um I that was like the lesson I was taught yeah. you know and when you're a kid you you aren't gonna think if people are telling you that's how so it you is. were told it was gonna happen before high school well no I wasn't I was. I just felt that way right. I just I I felt like it had to because how could I get older you know I couldn't conceptualize aging it's very strange yeah even I, now <laughs> it's still weird I I definitely um thought I wasn't going to make it to high school, but that's because I thought the kids who were already there were going to be mean to me. So I definitely would have considered mm-hmm. your religion had it been available to me <laughs> if I knew there was a Great alternative. Out. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's like a delaying of anxieties. Yeah. Because and... it's just going to happen anyway. So were you, have you lived in a perpetual state of bemusement and shock since the first day of ninth grade? <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah. I, I wake up a little more <laughs> amused than most, I think. Um, and that that comes from like a a funny place and kind of a dark place too. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just really I'm constantly aware of impermanence, and that sometimes takes the form of anxiety. Sometimes it's gratefulness. Actually, most of the time it's gratefulness, and um, I'm grateful for that gratefulness. <laughs> I don't know. I could. That's kind it's, of a cyclical it's statement. It's but, snake eating its tail. Of, yeah, but it's true. I, and and there's a there's real. The, the way you're, the tone you're using to describe it is present in the record as well. We're making it sound like for people who haven't heard it, there are weighty topics discussed. But I find it quite uplifting and and funny at times as well, which I hope is intentional. Yeah. The, the title track is um, the last track on the record is not um, upbeat, but there's the line about if a, one member of a couple were to pass away first, the other person would at least have a lot of stuff to read. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm reading it differently, but as someone who has a stack of New Yorkers and books that I've bought next to my bed that mm-hmm. due to family concerns, I may never get to. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, or maybe people feel that way about their Netflix queue. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, there's there's so much. And I, I get freaked out that I will never read all the books that mm-hmm. I own or like all the books that will come out. But then I remember <laughs> I will interact with a bunch of books and art before I go. And it's it's helpful to prioritize, like, you know, what you're going to spend your time doing. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, that specific line is partially inspired by a Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's like time at last, like time enough at last is what it's called. And it's about yes. the, yeah, the librarian who hates people and he makes this wish. I haven't seen it in a while, but he wishes that he could just be alone with his books and never talk to anyone ever again for eternity. And he gets that, but then his glasses break yeah. and he can't read anything. So... Yeah, that that the glasses breaking part isn't in the song, but that visual of just like being alone with all these books, like what does that mean if you're taking in all these fake lives? Like mm-hmm. for me it doesn't mean much unless I can apply it to my real life. Mm-hmm. Like I I want to use media to connect to people. You know, it's a it's a solitary activity, but it's supposed to push me closer to other people. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to 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 lead the next question, which is um just from speaking to you and listening to the record, you, you spend, it seems like you've spent a lot of time considering the songs and you work on them and you work on them with a group of old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, what is bridging that gap for you like? How much do you enjoy the um, introspective part of it? You said this was an inward looking record to what you're doing now, which is bringing it out into the world, playing these songs in the world, seeing that connection that it's made to other people. I love it. Like, I think you're identifying where the magic is, you know, to create something that is looking backward and then seeing that it's applicable to looking forward and um, you know contained in my body and my band and my van there's this like present like we contain it Mm -hmm. you know and so touring is like we're the only ones that can do it Mm -hmm. and so it's um, you know no one else can do this job I have job security I guess because no one can be Lucy Dacus and, yeah they can um, be Lucy Dacus which is they how can, I yeah Lucy Dacus totally Lucy Dacus up for grabs Ye- well, Lucy Dorcas Lucy Dracus wow yeah well Lucy Dracus would that be the mashup between you and Drake and it's just all God's plan <laughs> I but... mean I'm down if he's down <laughs> I'm just saying there are a lot of possibilities here I was thinking you should get litigious but maybe yeah. you should just get creative what's sad is people look at festival lineups we're playing a, a bunch of festivals mm-hmm. and people say Ludacris oh wait <laughs> I have people on Twitter just like Ludacris is playing and then correction like I just was reading too quickly and now Lucy Dacus is full of disappointment have you considered a slow core cover of area codes or something of that nature um not until today this is turning into a marketing <laughs> meeting but I got pitches <laughs> I think this is very possible. It's funny. I also think the world would be a great place if Ludacris fans went to a Lucy Dacus show and vice versa. I feel like maybe yeah. this is what there's, these there's fun to be had. This is what they're supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me. This record is so sneakily powerful and beautiful and thrilling, really. It's just, it was just such a great uh, thing to start the year off with. Um, And I hope all of listeners check it out. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it. Thank you. Yeah, this has been really nice. (laughs) (laughs) My guy. Why are you texting me? I'm sitting right here. Are you texting me? It's him. Why are you texting? I'm not texting you. Who's texting? I just got a bunch of texts. Oh, Zach and I are texting. Oh, did we CC you on you? We're just talking about how we're going to replace you. Like when we're going to tell you. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Green Chef. Feel like the star of your own cooking show with the Green Chef Meal Kits. Green Chef is a meal kit company that delivers everything you need to cook gourmet meals at home, including organic ingredients and easy recipes. Plus, they are USDA certified organic, and they offer options for specialty diets like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. 
Sign up today for a special limited time offer. Go to greenchef.us slash watch for $50 off your first meal kit. That's greenchef.us slash W-A-T-C-H for $50 off.